0: Today, on the Wall Street Coach Podcast, with Kim and Curtin.
1: What is emotional non-resistance? Each of us has to be the authority of our own life. What is emotional non-resistance? Feelings and emotions live in the body, and the only way they come out of our body is when we feel them. What is emotional non-resistance? It's about learning how to be with what's hard to with when you have a feeling come upon you that we're going to describe as unpleasant it is like surfing a weight instead of resisting it when you are on that board you have to be in the moment you want to feel the feeling and allow the feeling to kind of process so that you can get to what might be underneath it you ride it all the way into the shore. I've learned how to become the authority for me and myself and my own journey, and that in turn has really served me. So I hope and invite you to do the same for yourself.
0: The point is, ladies and gentlemen,
1: that greed is good. Don't confuse greed with desire. You don't have to exploit other people to get what you want. Having desire is good. Let me tell you something. There is no Nobility in poverty. Money has become this powerful symbol for wealth. You can have all the money in the world, and if you don't have peace of mind, you are not going to be a happy camper.
0: I don't lie to myself. I don't hold on to a loser. The moment it doesn't feel right, I let it go.
1: Get away from it. Oh, it's so easy to lie to ourselves, whether it's holding on to a losing position in a trade or in our life. Our ego does not like to be wrong, but that lie will cost us each and every
0: The Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim and Curtin.
1: Welcome to The Wall Street Coach Podcast. I'm here with my sidekick, Glenn Osland, and we're excited today to talk about practice three, even though this is our fourth podcast. We're going to talk about practice three of my five practices from my book, Transforming Wall Street, A Conscious Path for a New Future. These five practices are practices that I found all 50 men and women who work in finance that have integrity that I identified uh, had in common. They had one or more of these practices in their day-to-day. They may not have called these practices what I called them, but I saw them living uh, the essence of that practice. And these practices are also the five practices after many years of self-development work that I am still engaged in. I continue to see myself come back to these five, no matter what new fangled uh, you know, kind of course teaching I come across. I find these five are the steady eddies and even are really s- sacred wisdom practices. They've been around for, you know, the beginning of time. And I find that they coming back to them for myself is it whatever my challenge is, whatever situation I'm dealing with, and or my clients, I find that one of these five. Uh, has the keys to a solution and or to peace of mind and equanimity and to wealth and meaning.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm really enjoying sitting here as your sidekick and learning from this. You know, last time we talked about empathy for yourself and others and th- that colored the last couple of days for me. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't interact with anybody without thinking about empathy. Uh, wow,
1: that's awesome. Uh, yeah, so
0: that, that's great. So I'm looking forward. Th- today's what e- emotional connection, emotional non-resistance?
1: Emotional non-resistance. I call it emotional non-resistance because I didn't want to steal Raphael Kushner's term, emotional connection, but it's informed by his work. Uh, He has been a teacher of mine for probably 12 years now. Uh, I have worked with him extensively, and undoubtedly the work that I've done with him uh, completely shifted my healing process Uh, I was very fortunate to stumble upon him in Oprah Magazine, believe it or not. He, uh, at the time, lived on the West Coast, and I remember writing my first email to him. I had read an article uh, in Oprah, and it blew my mind out the door. I was like, this is so incredible. And I wrote him a very long-winded email, which I have wanted to do when I really get touched by somebody's book or writings. And he just wrote me that back, this amazing email, and we wound up connecting. And I can't say enough about him, how profound a teacher. He he has been my Yoda uh, (laughs) undoubtedly for many, many years. Uh, When when
0: your mind was blown out the door, did you ever get it back or did you just... That was when you lost your mind, and you
1: just—that that was the best part of my life began. Which I got rid of this damn perfect. mind, blown out, just blown it just. out. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I just, I just found what he was speaking to was so counterintuitive. You know, the heart, the heart of the first article that I read, and then you know, there are two articles, and these are articles that I to this day send to my clients. I re-read them all the time for myself in my own practice. But so, so what is emotional non-resistance, right? It's about learning how to be with what's hard to be with. Now let's break that down. That means when you have a feeling come upon you that we're going to describe as unpleasant, unpleasant is the minimum of what a hard to be with feeling might be for you. But let's just say at a minimum, it's unpleasant. Instead of resisting it, instead of going into a contraction to not want to be with it, instead you ride it all the way into shore. And the reason I use that metaphor of riding into shore uh, is because it is like surfing a wave. And And I get that not everybody listening to this has ever surfed before, but I promise you there's probably another metaphor we could find that you have done and you knew how to do it. Riding a skateboard, you sort of have to do the same thing riding surfboard though is the i think a great metaphor because even if you don't surf you can relate to the concept If this is what I've learned when I've surfed, I took, you know, surf lessons. First surf lessons I took actually were in New Jersey. And the second lesson I took were here in Hawaii. And it's a, it's a grueling sport. Like that is, it's looks sexy and beautiful and gorgeous out there. But let me tell you, it is grueling and it's you against that ocean. And you have to be able to be with hard to be with stuff if you want to get good at surfing. And the heart of it is though, when you are on that board, you have to be in the moment. You can't be a moment before that that great, I just survived, I just stayed on my board, that, that way that just a moment ago happened as soon as you start to go into the past, you fall off the board. And as soon as you start to go into the future of what you might do, you get off. You fall off the board. So the, the surfing, the way you surf successfully is you have to be present to just that moment and in that moment and only in that moment. And that's undoubtedly why I think surfers are so addicted. They're so addicted to the sport because it forces them to be in the present moment. I do think meditation can do the same thing, but it's certainly a more physical meditation It's a walking meditation or a surfing meditation. So being with hard to be with feelings. Why is this something that I'm an advocate of? I'm, I'm going to speak to a second person who impacted my learning about this. And his name is Dr. Peter Levine. Uh, Peter Levine's work I got exposed to with a book he wrote called Waking the Tiger. Uh, and let me just back up for a minute and say that Raphael Kushner's book is called the one thing holding you back. He has many books, Raphael. They're all amazing. I've read them all and we'll put them in the links, you know, to this podcast. But, uh, I just wanted to state out of the gate. His book is the one thing holding you back. Um, so Peter Levine, Peter Levine's work is about the somatic experience and considering that i would already been exposed to Raphael's work and had started to process, how to be with hard to be with feelings. When I stumbled into Peter Levine's work, it was just this perfect continuation of that same philosophy.
0: Can I, can I ask you to pause for a moment and tell me what somatic means? Does, does that mean it's in the body?
1: It does. It means it's, it's, a, it's happening physiologically within our body, okay. somatic. Yeah, so, it's, it's, so when you start to pay attention to your body, you start to be in tune to the different restrictions or contractions or resistance that stuff happens to us all day long. Uh, And when you start to pay attention to it, I'll give you an example. I I have a tendency to uh, have my jaw tight. So now that I pay attention to my body, I may be driving and then I'll remember, Oh, Check in on your jaw and then I'll see, oh, it's all tight from tension. And then once I'm mindful of the tension, it can start to dissipate. So that would be me being in touch with the somatic part of my jaw, right? The the physicality of my jaw. Emotional connection or emotional non-resistance is, on one hand, that moment I'm speaking about in the jaw, if I go into resistance, I can't believe my jaw is tight this is ridiculous. Why is it always tight? I'm, if anything, making my jaw tighter because I'm resisting the fact that it's tight. So emotional non-resistance is a practice of learning how to be with a emotion that is not pleasant at a minimum and being with it. Now, let's say you're in a meeting and a boss or a colleague has really ticked you off. You're not in a position to necessarily address it in that moment. You're not in a position to necessarily be feeling that unpleasant feeling as I'm advocating. So what I would suggest is that you notice, wow, I have a lot of resistance to what that guy just said or to that, what that girl just said. So you park it sort of up on a shelf and then you come back to it later and when you come back to it later you're maybe going to let yourself feel it and if you feel it what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself is it is it anger that got triggered when that person spoke was it was it you feeling disrespected was it a feeling of sadness because you feel like they shine brighter than you do at the meeting you want to you want to feel the feeling and allow the feeling to kind of process so that you can get to what might be underneath it? And this is, it sounds like it's a logical process, but it's actually more of an emotional process. So I'll pause there and see if what I've said has made sense. Go on.
0: Yeah, well, it, it does. It raises a lot of questions too. I, I want to make sure I understand it first before I start asking these questions though. Okay. Because it's, it sounds like it's very close to what we talked about last week. And especially, you know, we watched that YouTube video clip from Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. The difference between empathy and sympathy. And they have this illustration where there, I think it was a little rabbit that's down in a hole and is just oh. depressed. It's just dark. And somebody climbs down the ladder and just goes and sits with that person yeah. with their emotions. It, it seems like that would be an example of non-resistance to that emotion, whereas the antelope, or whatever it was, that pokes its head in through the hole—that's representing sympathy—and says, "At least, at yes. least it's not as you know worse than it actually is, right?" Yes. That—that's more of a resistance. That—that's correct. Saying exactly it's, right. It's a judgment. It's saying you shouldn't be thinking or feeling what it is that you're feeling. That's and so let let me quickly divert your attention um, so that you don't wallow or, you know, whatever words you might use for it.
1: Totally. So this would be, this is the internal act. You would need to be, that's why that practice, self-empathy, I speak about before this practice, because the only way you're going to be able to step into the emotional non-resistance is if you've already begun to practice self-empathy.
0: To recognize when you're feeling those feelings.
1: Correct. And to not minimize them. Not or,
0: judge it. Yeah. Or
1: judge them or to, to make them wrong or to tell you that you should be focused on the positive or not wallowing, so to speak, right? That That's such a great word because that is what the internal dialogue says. You're, you're being so negative. Why are you being negative? And that is actually what's so fascinating about this work is that a lot of people have repetitive memories, repetitive emotions, a repeat of a panic attack, a repeat of uh, being triggered when somebody says X, Y, or C. Like there a lot of people say to me, you know, that they feel stuck or that, that something happens and they, and they have this response to it and it, and it's continuous. And it's just like a, a broken record. And, uh, the, the, the amazing thing about that and this is where trauma also why why ptsd happens because ultimately what levine speaks to is that when trauma happens and trauma let me say this too about trauma you know some people think oh well i wasn't in a war or i wasn't violently attacked but but trauma can come in a dentist's office trauma can happen in an incident in our childhood. Trauma can happen in a Starbucks. Trauma comes in a lot of different shapes and forms. It doesn't always come in a way that you may characterize it from, you know, let's say, uh, uh, what is that damn court show that everybody watches all the time? Law and order, it's law and order. Law and order, okay, yeah, I know. Law and order, special crime, it's like, these shows kind of make us think that like, trauma is like, gotta be really, complicated how the Hollywood version of trauma. And I guess I just want people to know that trauma can happen in really simple ways and can be a part of our life, you know, without us even noticing it. And it's important to realize that we may, we undoubtedly all have it in small ways or not. I mean, this whole country went through our own trauma, in 9-11, that was a trauma to the entire country, to every person that yeah. Uh, yeah. watched the television that day. So we all have experienced trauma. Um, so, The thing, though, is that trauma unprocessed can keep us stuck, similar to a record that's skipping. And I'll give this great example. If you've ever heard a song, a piece of a song, that stays with you all day, uh, they call that an earworm. What that is is an example of how incredible our brain is and the way our body functions. The reason we will hear that song repeat all day long in our head is because our brain is trying to complete the cycle of that song. It just wants to get to the end of that song. This is a song you and I know, we're hearing it on the radio, we get to our destination, we shut off the car, and it's like, why is that song in my head all day? The song didn't end, it got interrupted. And so now that song all day will just try to finish its resolution the revolution of that record and that song and how it normally ends and if you want to ever get rid of an earworm the thing you need to do is you need to listen to the song again all the way to the end the same is true for any kind of trauma or incident that we've had what will happen is because of the environment the processing of our brain is interrupted and because it's interrupted we never finish fully the experience we get interrupted and that's why it repeats 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 however it's repeating sort of on a superficial level that may not that may be hard to believe especially for people who have a panic attack over and over again they're like it's certainly not superficial but in a way it sort of is because it's just on the top it's not going deep within that that has to happen to have that process and that's what emotional non-resistance is it teaches you how to be with hard to be with feelings because And so that you can finally feel them and kind of complete the cycle. Um, So what's happening is when a hard to be with feeling comes upon us, the the limbic uh, part of our brain, which is more developed, which is a newer part of our brain, uh, is kind of asking us to feel this, to, to, to experience this, right? However, the reptilian part of our brain, that older kind of, you know, really, really old part of our brain is encountering discomfort and reads that as danger instantly. So what's happening is we kind of have two parts of our brain in kind of a a, a battle against each other. That might be a little dramatic, but you know what I'm saying. It's, It's sort of this kind of tug of war between the limbic part of our brain that's just asking us to feel something And the old reptilian part of our brain that's saying, no, don't feel that, because if you feel that, you're going to die. It sounds extreme, but that's sort of what happens. It sort of is is built to say, no, we don't want discomfort. Run from discomfort, because on the other side, discomfort might be death.
0: Well, I mean, the way that I've understood it is that these feelings are a a biochemical response that, you know, comes from a, a fight or flight, you know, from the amygdala saying there's some kind of a danger. And w- we actually do ha- experience a narrowing of the mind and a rigidity um, where w- w- we're not really able to to focus on anything other than what this trauma or this pain or discomfort, this hard feeling
1: Ocean. is. Yep. So
0: I, are you linking that then to the, the, yep. the reptilian
1: brain, that That's little great. brain? Absolutely. That that's what's happening. But in the, in the midst of uh, flight or fright. Is also freeze that is definitely a big part of why and, and a lot of people from the outside of seeing you know people that have gone through a trauma they're like why why did they stand still why did they freeze you know what it's a, and that is also a physiological response uh, it doesn't happen as often in uh, people but it happens in mammals a lot you know if a, if a gazelle is running from lions uh, it will it, it that could be the response and it, and it's un it's on conscious you don't you don't control that but your body will go there as a last resort hoping that that might save you some time if the if the other animal that's about to attack you thinks you're already dead it may leave you or come back for other reasons Mm. um and at the beginning of waking the tiger uh peter levine actually talks about he gives you an example uh of why animals don't have trauma and this was you know kind of Again, the mind-blowing moment for me. Uh, So if that gazelle, let's say, is running from a lion and it escapes, before that gazelle will return to the herd, it will go behind bush and be by itself and tremor and tremble out the experience. It could take hours if if necessary. It will tremor and tremble out the entire race for itself away from that lion. And when it finishes trembling and tremoring out, that whole processing of that experience, it will be done with it, and it will return to its herd as though it didn't even happen. Humans do not do this, and this is why we have trauma, and this is why we get stuck, because we haven't been taught how to navigate, how to process like that gazelle has learned how to do, and that's why they don't have trauma. They're they're facing life and death situations every day, really true life and death situations, not, you know, made up ones from their reptilian brain. And yet they don't have trauma. And this is why. And that's, you know, when I saw that because of the trauma I myself have lived through in my life, I realized, oh boy, I'm gonna have to start doing this work. And of course it started with Raphael. Um, and it, and it, it is, sim- he, Raphael says all the time, it's simple, but it's not easy. Because to, but what winds up happening is that you begin to be with the hard to be with feelings and start to feel them. Uh, everything inside of you is like, don't do this. So, you know, Raphael's advocacy is that you start slow. Maybe you can only stay with that hard to be with emotion for uh, five seconds. Maybe it's two seconds and then you got to back yourself out of it. Um, So you want to approach this within yourself very empathically with lots of tender love and care because it can kick stuff up for you 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 may have to get professional support to help navigate it uh there's there's but this it it, it, at a minimum what i would recommend is be aware of what emotions or feelings are in particular are particularly hard for you to be with Uh, because we each have a collection of some that are harder than others for us to be with. Anger is is an emotion and a feeling that is very hard for me to be with. It, It sort of freaks me out. And I've had to do a lot of work about like, hmm, isn't that interesting that anger is really hard for me to express. Now I understand more why and I've gotten more comfortable with it. Is it still my favorite place to go? No, but I at least now am not as paralyzed by it when I feel angry or find myself not feeling angry or s- expressing it.
0: so Can I ask you a few more questions about yeah. that with the anger especially? Because I, I think I understand the emotional part of emotional re- non-resistance. I'm not quite sure I totally get the non-resistance. I, I think you're talking about not judging it, not trying to dismiss it, uh, and, and that's part of the non-resistance. So when you feel anger and you know that you are not comfortable feeling anger, what's a what's a what is something that you might do that would be resisting that that feeling of anger and then what do you do now that um, is an expression of your non-resistance to that anger
1: I'll notice that I don't get angry a lot first of all, because my comfort with anger is low enough that it's not my first go-to response it, I'll have to have there'll have to be a certain collection of variables that show up for me to really get angry. but what will happen is Anger will—I'll feel angry, and then what follows it for me is fear. I become afraid. I become afraid that I am feeling anger, because for me to express anger when I was little was just not going to go over well. So I have to mitigate my anger when I was little. So what'll happen in that moment is I'll say to myself, "Wow, you're feeling a lot of anger right now," and. Mostly at that point, when I've started to notice it, I'm already starting to feel fear. So, my anger as soon as my anger shows up, I go to fear. So, what I do is I notice okay, so you're feeling afraid right now because you're angry. Now, I'll stop, I'll pu- you know, and again, I may not be able to pause in the moment, could be an environment or situation or with people that it's not an appropriate time for me to kind of be with this so maybe i'll put it up on the shelf and i'll come back to it later that night and i'll be stopping then later that night when i have privacy and i'll meet look within myself with as much empathy as possible what what happened and i'll replay the scenario i'll remember reconnect replug into the situation that happened and i'll tune into like okay that where did this anger came from, come from? This anger came from what this person said to me or or said to somebody else when I was there. Now, that's me intellectualizing it. That's not the same as emotionally feeling it. So what it would look like is me stepping back into that wave, if you will, of emotion and feeling it. And it it'll feel different each time, but it'll feel almost like, your physical body starts to go to another place. You'll start to feel like, you know, some people, when they get angry, they get a lot of tension in their shoulders or neck. Some people will get a grumbling in their stomach. Some people will feel this tightness. And what I'll do is allow myself to surf all of that. And then what winds up happening, which is so extraordinary, is that the feeling will ultimately shift into another feeling. And that's when you start to transform it into a place that is different than the way it was. But what we have a tendency to do is push down or push away or you know, dismiss emotions that we don't want to be with, that we don't like, that aren't culturally acceptable, that aren't you know, what good people feel, all that kind of crap. And uh, we just don't let ourselves feel the feeling. And, you know, if I think back to the episodes that we recorded uh, with Steven Johnson with Steady Trade, you know, he and I had a conversation at one point about uh, letting oneself feel something. And yet that doesn't mean one has to act on it, right? It's just having the feeling and being, okay, look at that. I'm having this feeling and slowly developing a muscle to get stronger in the midst of that discomfort. So it's like crunches, you know, you don't go into the gym and do a hundred, you go in and do 10 and then 10 the next day, maybe 15 and then 20, you work your way up. The same with emotional non-resistance, you work your way up, you strengthen. And so what happens is when you are willing to be with the heart to be with feeling, you start to reprogram, rewire your brain. Because what you wind up teaching that reptilian part of your brain that feels discomfort or feels fear, any discomfort, you start to teach it, actually, I didn't die. I felt that feeling. It was unpleasant. It wasn't fun. But I'm on the other side of it now. And you know what? It wasn't as, maybe as bad as I thought it was going to be.
0: Are you familiar with Alan Watts? Sure. Do you know what he says about there's no wrong feelings? everything that happens is in some way harmonious, is in some way right, is in
1: some way an integral part. Now when we transplant or translate that into the moral sphere, the sphere of human conduct, the equivalent is this. There are no wrong feelings. There may be wrong actions in the sense of actions contrary to the rules of human communication, but the way you feel towards other people. Loving, hating, etc., etc. There aren't any wrong feelings. And so to try and force one's feelings to be other than what they
0: are is absurd.
1: So I really like that clip from Alan Watts. Thank you, Glenn, I'm so glad you found it. Uh, I think it might be a little heady to wrap, uh, wrap your head around at first. So it, it's hard for you to fully absorb that or digest that, don't worry. Uh, part of what this conversation is about is to stretch you beyond your comfort zone and i think even if right now it's make too much of a leap for you to believe that there are no wrong feelings what i invite you to at least be willing to consider is that you have feelings they aren't right or wrong they are just feelings like weather patterns weather patterns come and go you and i because of the how how we're built we're going to have feelings we're going to have emotions that aren't ones we necessarily enjoy or like or want to have and the easiest way for them to dissipate or for them to shift is to not be in resistance to them and you know that is probably a conversation if we get into the concept of non-resistance that's another conversation we can have on another call. But for right now, what I want people to really walk away with is that this concept of noticing that you may have unpleasant feelings or emotions and invite you to consider being with them instead of pushing them down. I truly believe that part of the challenges we're facing today more than ever because we are moving i do believe into the transformation age this is something david Hool, uh, a futurist that i did interview in my book talked about we're moving into the transformation age transformation ages that t- is is a is a is a time of a lot of change very quickly so for you to just be able to be with the concept wow i might have some hard to be with emotions and feelings And instead of looking at them like they're the enemy, begin to embrace them, begin to welcome them. Not because they're going to stay in the middle of your living room and put their feet up forever, but because if you don't reconcile with them, they will not dissipate. And that is a big part of what uh, Levine's work talks about. We have to finish the cycle. We have to complete the experience of these hard-to-be-with feelings. And Raphael Kushner's work teaches us how to step-by-step be with what's hard to be with and build up the resistance, build up the muscle tolerance to uh, navigate them. And ultimately, that will help us find ourselves to the other side of it. Uh, I was looking for a quote of Raphael's here in my book. And I think what I want to just say here is that he feels that, you know, I'm going to say this, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just read his quote here. When he was, before I read the quote, he, he was going through a very challenging time in his life and everybody around him was giving him kind of the advice to, you know, focus on the positive or uh, just, you know, get over it. And then he had one of his teachers say to him, what if you just felt it? What if you didn't do anything to resist? What if you just allowed yourself to feel it now? It was, it was so kind of wild and crazy that thought. And so in complete contrast to everything else he had been told that he thought, you know, what do I have to lose? And it doesn't mean you're going to have it be processed in a few minutes. His took a little bit of time for him to fully process, but by him no longer resisting the very thing that he was resisting, it opened up the space for it to move through him and ultimately out of him. And that is what this work is about. So I'll pause there and see what what you think, Glenn, about what I've just said.
0: Well, honestly, I'm I'm still kind of surprised at your response to the Alan Watts clip because um, not judging your feelings and just allowing them to be what they are seems like it's such an important part of what you're saying about non-resistance, like this emotional non-resistance. And if you're able to take the frame of mind that there's no wrong feelings, then you're right off the bat, dropping the judgment from these feelings and just putting yourself in a place to be
1: able to feel them for what they are. Um, I, I totally yeah. hear you and I, and I agree with you in theory that that is true but from the police of being able to believe that you don't have any wrong thoughts and to actually b- practice it can take a while it can take a while it, yeah
0: <laughs> the, I, the thing that surprises me is it just seems like it's it's using different words to say the same thing that that like don't judge your emotions Um, there's no right or wrong emotions isn't that different than saying there's no wrong feelings
1: we can say that but because we're saying that doesn't mean people will be able to do it yeah so you know we can it's it's great advice but to live it is another story Mm -hmm. and so what i am the reason i feel like that might be kind of the advanced course in in a way (laughs) advanced course because what what i Just want to speak to first is for people to realize that the unpleasant emotions are going to come up and to allow them some breathing room if they're able to just walk away with that it's going to be a huge stride towards ultimately going to the master class of nothing inside of my thoughts is even wrong I think it's a lot to ask of people who might be beginners In this work and so i just want to get them comfortable with the concept of wow i feel really upset right now and instead of just trying to feel positive it's okay for me to let myself just feel negative like Mm. let's just have them start there Mm. and then we take them to the next level you've done a lot of work on yourself you know you've been involved in personal development work even with the folklore stuff just and your own journey right Not everybody has, this is like, it's radical stuff to think that there's something uh, that if you're in a bad mood, that you can't just like kind of snap out of it. Like that for people is gonna be like shocking in and of itself. You know, never mind going to the concept that you have no wrong thoughts. So I I just feel like that might be a lot to ask them to go there. And look, I love Alan Watts, but he's not for, uh, you know, he's an acquired taste. He takes a little time. You, you, you've got to have done some work on yourself, I think, to even go to some of the places he takes us.
0: So if you were going to tell listeners, give them some, like, some uh, homework, homework assignments or some takeaways from what you said today, what would you ask them to do?
1: I think I would ask them to consider that the next time they have an emotion or a feeling that is uncomfortable or unpleasant, see if you can be the observer to the feeling or the emotion as opposed to sitting in judgment over it and making it wrong don't make it wrong see if you can just see it neutrally i think that takes some practice and takes some getting used to but that's what i would invite you to do and you know i gave this example in one of the first day Trade podcasts where Glenn and I met with uh, Tim Bowen and Steven Johnson, where I told them about the Vana incident. I'd stepped on a sea urchin and had like 50 needles go into my, my feet. And the friend that knew I was a coach walked over to me who saw it happen. And she said, you know, she knew I was in shock. Plus I had the poison from all those needles coursing through my body. I was in probably the most physical pain I had ever experienced close to. And she just said, be the observer to me. And it was the perfect advice. So while I was obviously in tremendous pain, there was another part of myself that was able to observe this experience I was having. And by that observing, I was able to, I don't know that I could say I lessened the pain, but I found another place To be with it. And that is ultimately what I'm inviting you to consider. Consider going to a place of neutrality. Consider going to a place of, oh, this emotion is flowing through me like a waterfall. Isn't that fascinating? One of the things I do suggest to people when feelings come upon them that are very strong is. To look at what need wasn't met prior because feelings are just indicators that needs have been met or needs have not been met. But after that is still an intellectual process. After that has been done and you identify, well, the reason I'm angry is because I didn't have my need for respect met, then you want to step into a place of, wow, my need for respect didn't get met and that doesn't feel good. And if you let yourself go into the place of it doesn't feel good, and you notice what comes up for you, maybe anger is there initially, if you sit with it long enough, maybe then that anger turns to sadness. And then maybe that feeling of sadness turns into hopelessness. It usually will start to morph and move uh, into different feelings. And what also will happen in the midst of that process is sometimes memories will surface. Sometimes experiences will surface. Sometimes a particular incident will come to mind and you'll be able to remember, I have felt this way before. I know this feeling. This is a feeling I have all the time when something doesn't go my way. And it's in that observation that you get slowly unhooked from that trigger. And that's what this process is in service to. It's in service to you not being hooked as quick the next time. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that so you get to be somebody who fully processes maybe some old emotions, maybe some old feelings that are still living inside of your body because that's where emotions live. Feelings and emotions live in the body. And the only way they come out of our body is when we feel them. So at the end of the day, what I'm inviting you to do is to feel what you feel, not try to move it away, not numb it out. Just let yourself feel it. Maybe you journal a little bit. Maybe you have one good friend who's a really good listener, who's going to be able to just hold space for you and allow you to be with the hard to be with feelings, who's able to sit in neutrality with you and your feelings. Uh, That is what I would invite you to do. And of course, I'm willing to support you in any way I can. Uh, I will put all the books that I have read and that I recommend to you uh, in this link. And I will also recommend that you uh, do some homework on what that looks like for you because everybody's is going to be different. It might be anger that's hard for you to be with, it could be sadness or grief that's hard for you to be with, uh, it could be joy that's hard for you to be with, it could be love that's hard for you to be with, or receiving. Uh, everybody's going to have you know their collection, uh, and learning how to be with them will allow there to be more spaciousness in your body, in your emotional life, and in your day-to-day dealings with people and ultimately that's what this is in service to this practice emotional non-resistance because you think you know you're burying them down in the basement uh and you think oh i put a lock on that trap door and i got a beautiful carostan carpet uh on top of it and i've got all this beautiful furniture in the living room who the hell wants to bring that crap up from the dark basement it's probably moldy it probably smells and you would be correct and think about It's living downstairs in the basement of your whole life. Is it fun to bring it up? Is it going to cause a mess? Damn straight. And think about the mess that it's causing all the time when you're not being with it.
0: Do do you know the, uh, the, there's a book and it was made into a movie with Robin Williams. It's called What Dreams May Come. Anyway, What what Dreams May Come tells the story of a guy who dies and he's in the afterlife. And he's he's really... um, He misses his wife who's still alive and he's really concerned about her and she's somebody that he describes at one point in her life she had a mental breakdown it doesn't really go into a lot of detail about that but that she suffers from anxiety she suffers from depression and he's really concerned about her and he he finds out that she's supposed to live another 24 years after he died but then she can't take it she commits suicide and wow. because she committed suicide, then she's going to be stuck in this one realm of the afterlife that every realm in the afterlife is a, a construct of people's thoughts. Mm. It's, it's what they think is then what they experience. And it's, it's really an interesting metaphor at least to, yeah. to explore the impact of how we think shapes the world around us. Yes. And, and so he decides kind of like Orpheus descending into Hades that he's gonna go and get his wife out of this morass. Yeah. Uh, and it's really powerful, like the, the the interaction between them and the way that she just rejects what he's saying. Wow. She's so determined yeah. to be a victim. She's so determined to be depressed. She like Anything that he offers to her is like, hey, this is something that's nice. She's like, liar, it's not nice. And wow. so, because I just read that, <laughs>
1: yeah yeah
0: Yeah. I'm, i'm i'm thinking about like when you're feeling feelings and i've had experience with people in my life who do wallow and i get to the point where i lose patience with them because i'm like all right it's time to get over it it's time to put the smiley face on you really can impact the world around you you really do impact the world around you based on the thoughts that you think the feelings that you feel that you know the thoughts that you think impact how you feel that's what the the premise of that book i think i mentioned it a few episodes ago feeling good by dr david burns
1: yeah and, um, do, and even the law of attraction talks about that you know the law sure. of attraction talks about you know your thoughts become your feelings your feelings become what you live and yeah. and i think, you know i think this is an important piece to even talk about actually because that advocacy is can be sort of tricky because on one hand it is true but on the other hand it has a tendency to have people gloss over what they yeah,
0: ask right i think of it as like a pendulum that swings from one extreme to another extreme Absolutely. and and you and i i i could see that someone might take the message of emotional non-resistance too far, you know, and go like, well, okay, I'm just going to be depressed all the time. And I am I see myself as a victim and I interpret the world around me, everything that happens, I'm a victim and they just feel bad and feel bad. And it just reinforces that story over and over again. And So like at what point then do you pull it back and go, well, actually, I am going to put some resistance against these cognitive distortions that yeah. are the mental habits that have developed over time because of the way that I respond to things and go, I, I actually... I have choices on what I focus on. I have choices on the way that I respond to things and, and so I, I think, I think what, what I'm hearing from you is that you need to feel the feeling like, like a wave through its entire crest and dissipation. Don't just try and cut it off mid crest or as it's rising, let it, let it be what it is and then let it fade into another emotion, another feeling. And or learn it how to understand out. what or that is. Out.
1: It might or fade it out. Might yeah, out. and you know, here's the tricky part, and maybe even the disappointing part. How long does that take? Well, it takes a different amount of time for everybody. Sure. And and this is the part that can be challenging, especially with those loved ones around us. Uh, you know, we might be frustrated because they're not moving fast enough for us. We want them to come up and out of that emotional uh, morass that they might be in. Um, and I and I can understand that there's times when people might be stuck. Uh, so there is this sense of self-awareness and hopefully this sense of trusted advisors around you who, or trusted person or friend or coach or therapist around you who can say, you know what, it feels like You know, if somebody has it going on for years and years and years, it's possible, not definite, it's possible that they are feeling it in, again, lack of a better word, in a superficial sort of way and not going to the heart of the darkness, right? The heart of the darkness may not be where they're going, and that is part of why it's happening over and over again in this kind of slow, low-grade burn, and because we've been taught to not go to the heart of darkness you know the darkest place they call it the dark night of the soul uh and because people you know encourage us all the time you know look i I think i don't remember this talk recently that i saw like we do have a happiness epidemic where people like want us to be happy all the time if you're not happy what's wrong let's fix it like we're not happy all the time we're not always going to be joyful all the time. We are human beings. We we live in a in a world that is not. Uh Perfect, and there we have a lot of emotions to us. So, so it might be inconvenient to be around a friend who is down. But like, too bad on us. Like, if they're feeling down, they're feeling down. We may not value the same things they do. We might be like, Wow, I can't believe you're so down that um, Sneaky Pete isn't coming back on Netflix, which I'm really down about. But that may not. I mean, my friend may not be able to like Sneaky Pete and not be able to relate to that you know, sadness, right? But our real friends don't need to understand why we're sad. They're able to just sit in our sadness with us. And I can understand that. Like if I was sad about Sneaky Peak for three years, maybe that's a long time, but it's possible there's a grief or sadness or a loss that's underneath that, that I have yet to really be with. And it's that, that instead of being with that, I just stay over here with I'm sad because that show got canceled. Maybe it's a deeper sadness of a bigger loss from way back when that I have yet to really go into. And just by being over here with this kind of higher level sadness, it protects me from having to feel the pain of something that's a real loss from my life. And so Raphael you know, Kushner talks about this in his books. Uh, he talks at length about how it's so important to not take on this kind of false responsibility that if you are thinking thoughts that are negative, you're somehow ruining your chances at a better life. It's like, no, you have to be make room and space for yourself to feel hard to be with feelings because that's the only way you're going to be able to, Process through them, and this is a delicate dance, right? This is this is one conversation about emotional non-resistance. It's not the answer to everything. Uh, there's lots of factors. I'm going to even speak to chemical imbalances because there could be people listening to this who do have chemical imbalances. Um, and you know, everybody has to find their way. Each of us, and I should have said this honestly at the start of this podcast, you know, series. Each of us has to be the authority of our own life. I'm an, I'm an authority of these things for me. These are the things I've seen have helped me journey through the healing I've needed to do. They've worked for me. I have seen them in the past 13 years work for all of my clients. But again, that's a limited sample. It, it's not a scientific study. This is Kim's experience in her journey and the journey I've shared with others who have had theirs. But you have to find what works for you. If what you hear from me lands terrific run with it and see test it see if it's if, if it's a good match if it doesn't that's okay you be, have to be the authority i can't be the authority for you you have to be the authority of your own life and that is probably one of the most important lessons uh that i've learned and i've learned it through some hard knocks but at the end of the day i've learned how to become the authority for me and myself and my own journey and that in turn uh has really served me. So I hope and invite you to do the same for yourself.
0: This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Find her on the web at thewallstreetcoach.com and sign up for her newsletter, get a copy of her book, or schedule a time to chat with Kim yourself. And if you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been produced by Ear Candy Productions.